unless they're going really sideways, I'm not going to stop and play with a dog during a road race. But during an ultra on a trail, 10 out of 10 will stop and play with a dog if the opportunity presents itself. Diz Runs Radio episode 1025 starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 welcome to another episode of the podcast, another month winding down, which means time for a little uh, Q&A, a little you ask, I answer, maybe be useful, maybe be nonsense, probably a bit of both. Uh, but if you're new around these parts, this is what we do on the, the last Friday of every month is dedicated to your questions. Uh, and I try to answer them somewhat engagingly, somewhat maybe borderline humorously. Uh, occasionally we get some questions that actually require a serious answer. We got a, we got more than a few of those today, which is, which is all right. I'm okay with that. Um, but, uh, if you're new around these parts, like I said, this is something we do every month. And if you want to get your questions answered, if you have a question you'd like me to answer running life or anything in between the, the, you could submit your question any old way, social media, email, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I will say this and it's, it's nothing, nothing personal, um, Sometimes those questions have gotten lost in the shuffle in the past when they've come in via email or Twitter or whatever. I try not to, but it does happen. The one way to make sure your question doesn't get lost in the shuffle is to be a part of the Facebook group, um, which I know Facebook, we like Facebook. I know I'm right there with you, but I think we have a pretty good group going on, on, on Facebook. You know, if you can, if you can stomach the rest of Facebook, uh, come join the Facebook group. And then in the middle of each month, I put out a post that says, Hey, what are your questions this month? You respond in the comments with your questions, question or questions. And uh, that way they're all in, in one place, at least in theory, they're all in one place. And then when it's time to do this episode, I just scroll right on down through, uh, try to remember if there's any other, you know, DMs or emails or whatever. But definitely if you get your question in that, that thread on Facebook each month, your question will be featured on the show and uh, I'll do my best to answer it in some form of useless, use, not useless, some form of useful way. Um, and that's how these shows come about. Today's, today's episode, I, I might be kicking myself next month for saying this, might be a touch on the short side. I, clearly, I'm going to be long-winded, so it won't be it won't be that short. But I think we we only have like 16, 17 questions, something like that. So who knows? We might blow through this relatively quickly. I'm sure it'll still take an hour. Who knows? Um, but uh, you know, now now that I put that out there, next week or next month, Melody will ask 14 questions, and and uh, you know, Mona will chime in with her with her batch as per hopefully usual. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be out for, for 50 questions and who knows how long that'll take. My, my voice won't be able to hold up. Um, uh, but I suppose that's a good problem to have, but, uh, we'll say, we'll worry about that next month. This month, we'll just focus on the questions we have and, uh, dive in with uh, a question from Hildy who asks, what's your take on running slash training with an overuse injury, i.e. Achilles tendonitis, yay or nay to taking time off? And if so, how long? Now, Hilda, I'm, I'm not sure, I, I, you know, I, are you trolling me with this question or is this a, an honest question? Because um, I've been I've been dealing with a little bit of itis for uh, a little while now. And so my, my answer on this question, 
you know, the, 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 the timing of the question is curious. Um, hopefully it's not something that you're dealing with. Hopefully it is just a little bit of a troll job because, uh, my answer is probably what I should have done a month or more ago. Um, and, and, you know, taking time off is, is in theory, the best, the best option. Um, but there's a whole host of factors and, and ultimately, I mean, that's, that's what it all comes down to. Like, you know, I know I say this occasionally, probably not as often as I should, but we're all in end of one, right? Like all of our situations, our niggles, our little potential injuries, um, are all going to be unique. And what one person is able to do in terms of running through it and still resolving it or not, um, is what one person is able to do. That's not going to be universal. You know, the, the, the severity of the issue when you catch it is going to be different for each person. Some people may be a little more in tune with their bodies or, or at least a little more willing to listen to their bodies, uh, are going to pick up on some, some things early in the process, um, which makes it easier to resolve without potentially taking time off. Uh, some people like maybe like yours truly, um, recognize symptoms early, but we're stubborn and frustrated, not frustrated, um, we're, but we're frustratingly stubborn and just like, eh, you know, I'll be fine. You know, I'm sure it's just a shoe issue or I'm sure it's just a, this issue or that issue. I'll take a day off here or there and it'll be fine. Um, and then, you know, six weeks later, it's still lingering until the point where you're like, all right, well maybe, okay, maybe I should have practiced what I preached a little bit more and take a little bit more time off. So, you know, when it comes to various overuse issues, especially tendonitis or what I think I'm dealing with, which is probably a, uh, uh, Achilles bursitis, which kind of sometimes hard to differentiate between the two, but I, I got, I feel like it's probably more of a bursitis than a tendonitis, but either way, uh, it's an itis in my leg. Um, taking time off is, is typically a good choice. If you're not at a point in a training cycle where maybe you've got a race coming up in, in a month or something like that, that's a, that's a big goal race. And, and potentially, you know, looking in the rear view mirror, maybe that's, that's part of the reason why I was stubborn in January was because I had the celebration race at the end of January that I was, I was really looking forward to racing and, and racing hard. Um, and that ultimately went well. Um, uh, but if I didn't have that on the calendar, would I have been more willing to take a couple weeks off at the beginning of the year and just, you know, not run the risk of this lingering as much? Probably, probably. Um, so, you know, in those types of situations, maybe you train through it, but if you don't have anything on the immediate horizon, um, taking some time off is probably the right choice because ultimately your overuse injury, assuming it comes from, from running, you know, if you take some time off from running and try to get some other cross training things done, uh, to, to maintain your fitness, of course, like that's going to help speed up the process because you're not doing that same overuse action, AKA continuing to run that probably causes this thing to bubble up in the first place. But if you're going to try to run while you're managing the injury, um, you can still resolve it, but you're more likely to run into a two steps forward, one step back scenario where you make a little bit of progress and then you go for a run and you erode some of that progress. Then you make a little progress and then you go for a run and you erode some of that progress. And, and so, you know, that can be frustrating. And if you're not careful and if you're not really in tune with your body and what it's telling you, it's, it's a slippery slope between two steps forward, one step back to one step forward, two steps back. And then that's, that doesn't typically end well. So, you know, this is, this is as generic as, as generic advice can be. And I suppose, you know, I, I should have given all the disclaimers earlier about, again, everybody's different and N equals one and, and, you know, do as I say, maybe not as I do, or consult your physician or your PT or whatever. Um, but in general, probably taking some, taking a little bit of time off to, to really get ahead of it is, is 
probably the, the prudent decision. I'm not going to say it's the right or the wrong decision, but it's the prudent one in terms of trying to, to get through the issue as quickly as possible. And, and how long is that going to take? Oh, it depends. It depends. Might be a few days all you need. Might be a week or two. Might be a month or more. Um, it just depends on the severity of the issue, how proactive you're able to be in addressing it, you know, in terms of are you going to therapy? Are you doing all the exercises? Are you doing all the things? Or are you kind of just like going through the motions which I may or may not be guilty of sometimes. Um, and just, you know, hoping that the, the magic injury healing fairy, you know, comes at, at night one time and, and takes care of the issue. Um, so, so there's a whole host of factors that are going to depend on how long you might need to take off. So um, it's, it's really a case by case basis. And I hate to, to completely pass the buck on that question. Um, and spoiler alert, I'm going to pass the buck on several questions because there's a lot of injury related questions today, which is kind of a bummer. Hopefully, hopefully there are a lot of, of early stage situations and not something where things are really getting more serious. Um, but it really is a case by case basis. And it's really hard to, to give any really good advice when it's just a, you know, a sentence or two question. You know, if we sat down and talked or got on Skype and talked and, and worked through some things, I could definitely give you some better advice. Um, but you know, in this, in this situation, I mean, really saying it's a case by case basis and probably taking time off is, is prudent. Um, I think is about the best I can do. So again, hopefully you're just trolling me Hildy and, and, uh, um, you're not dealing with any type of, of tendonitis, but if you are maybe backing off a little bit and really, really getting out in front of it, um, is probably the best choice because otherwise there's a pretty good chance that you might be dealing with it for a lot longer than you would like to, um, spoken with a little bit of, of current experience, uh, that I wish I wasn't speaking with or speaking from whatever, whatever the right way of saying that is. But thank you for the question, my lady. Hope things are well. Uh, next couple of questions come from Thessaly. They're kind of related. So we'll just kind of an answer them both at the same time. Uh, what is your definition of success as a runner? What about in a more general sense, how is success determined for you outside of running? So this is, this is one of those that kind of made me think for a bit because I feel like I have some vague ideas of success, both in running and in, in other areas of my life. Um, but I'm not sure that I really have any like hard, you know, tried and true, like nailed down. Definitely. This is, this is my answer type of situation. Um, I feel like as a runner, my, my, my biggest metric of success is that I still enjoy running. Um, and, and kind of, I feel like as long as, as long as that's the case, everything else more or less takes care of itself, right? Like, like obviously I have goals. I have my Boston goal. I have my 50 States goal. I have some other goals that are a little bit more under the vest that, that I don't know that I've ever really said too much publicly in terms of number of marathon distance runs done and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, as long as like, I, I don't want to feel like any of those is like my hard metric metric of success. If I ever get to the point where like running's not fun or not something that I really enjoy. Um, like I don't want it to be like a failure because I stopped. I, 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 I don't want it to be a failure because I, I wasn't enjoying running anymore. So I just, you know, stopped chasing those goals. Um, hopefully I never get to that point. I mean, I, you know, I'm on record multiple times saying I want to run until they put me in the ground. And I hope that that's that, that running continues to be fun for me. And, and in that, you know, I, I don't want it to be misconstrued that like I'm happy, go lucky and looking forward to every run. That's not the case, but overall I still enjoy running overall, you know, even though there's, there's certain runs that, are, that don't go great. And there's certain days that I just, that, that I really don't want to go run, but typically on those days, once I get out the door, 
once I get a mile or two in, and certainly once I finish my run, I'm happy that I've done it. It was a good choice. I'm glad that I forced, quote unquote, forced myself to get out, out the door. And those runs don't diminish my overall perception of I enjoy running. So as long as I'm enjoying running, I feel like things are, are, are successful. You know, and that then, then there's, you know, the, the sub, the subsections of that or the, 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 uh, the, the components of enjoying it, you know, I get to try, hopefully we'll continue to be able to travel more to races, travel more to meetups and running with people and doing Ragnars with, with, with folks in different parts of the country or other types of, of those team type of races. Um, again, traveling to races, running races, just enjoying the race in environment and different types of races, no carry. That's not OCR nonsense, but trail races and road races and ultras and maybe some shorter stuff once in a while. And just, and just being part of, of that type of, of enjoyment of the sport, uh, continuing to meet people, you know, both online and, and hopefully continuing more and more to meet some of y'all and, and folks that I don't even know yet, even virtually in person at races, um, and, and having get togethers and, and bringing the community aspect of the sport to, to real life. Even as an introvert, I enjoy that stuff. Now I might need some time to recover afterwards, but, but in the moment, like that's fun. That's, that's, that's joyful. That's to me, that's success for me as a runner. Um, yes, I've got time goals and things like that, that I do enjoy pushing myself and trying to be, you know, to meet those goals as well. But I, I try not to have those be my metric of success and just let it be fun. Let it be fun. Uh, in terms of general sense, you know, again, I mean, I'm going to have different goals for different aspects of my life or different, different metrics of success for different areas of my life outside of running. But I feel like being a good person, like that's kind of the, the fun of running, you know, being a good person takes care of, of most every metric metric of success, you know, being a good husband, being a good father, being a good coach, being a good business owner, being a good contributing member of society. Like if I can do those things in different forms and fashions, of course, it's not like being a good husband is the same thing as being a good podcast host. Like, like, like those metrics of success there are completely different. Right. Um, but hopefully I'm able to, to, to address those things, take, take care of, myself, take care of those around me, take care of those that, that, that I love and that hopefully love me back. Um, and, and, and also, you know, in, in all doing that somehow encompassing, just being a good person, being, being honest and trustworthy and, and reliable. And, and I'm, you know, clearly not perfect on those things all the time, but as much as I can, if I'm able to be a good person, you know, kind of like if I'm able to have fun with running, everything else kind of takes care of itself. I'm able to be a good person, um, within the different relationships and different commitments and different things that I have going on, you know, that goes a long way towards helping those other things take care of themselves. So still pretty vague, pretty vague definitions of success. If I'm, if I'm honest, um, but those are, those are maybe my, my working definitions of success in my running and in my life. Um, with, with the ability to, to continue to evolve as we go. Right. But, uh, thanks for the questions, Thessaly. Appreciate it. Hope things are well out West. Uh, next question coming from David. How often do you incorporate abs slash core workouts while in marathon training? Um, that's, that's a layered question that I don't know that you, it's a layered answer, I guess, David, I don't know that, that you meant it to be a, a layered question and it, it's a pretty straightforward question. Um, but I don't, at most, I guess, maybe at most I incorporate one ab or core workout, which I don't really do ab workouts. I do core workouts for sure. Um, and maybe that's splitting hairs, but like, I definitely hate a, a, 
a workout that's labeled as core workout. And then it's just a bunch of, of ab work, a bunch of crunches and, and leg raises and things like that. Like there's more to your core, right? So when I do a core workout, I try to make sure I'm hitting the, the whole thing. Um, but I maybe do one specific dedicated core workout per week. Um, but I don't even, I don't like doing core workouts and maybe it's because a lot of the Peloton workouts and, and you know, I, I love me the Peloton app and, and the different classes and things that are there. But so often when I do a core workout, it's like 90% or more abs. And so I just get frustrated with them, um, to the point where I don't, don't do them as often as maybe I, I could or should, but that doesn't mean that I'm not working my core regularly throughout the week, right? When I'm doing upper body workouts, when I'm doing push-ups, or when I'm doing, um, pull-ups or when I'm doing some rows and some, some different things, like there's plenty of, of work that gets done that incorporates core strength and core stability. You know, when I get the yoga mat out, which I don't do as, again, I maybe don't do as much as I could or should, but you know, try to get it out semi-regularly. When I get the yoga mat out, some of the flows and some of the, the positions that you're in, um, absolutely are core strengthening workouts, um, or at least core strengthening poses. It's, it may not be specific to the core, but I'm working the core. So, you know, specific core workouts. I mean, like I said, maybe once per week. And, I, and to me, marathon training is just training. Like I, there is no marathon training versus not training. Like I'm doing the same workouts all the time. Um, so, so it, maybe once a week, but, but maybe four or five times a week, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, and I'm not one that thinks that you can work your core every day because your core is a muscle, just like any other muscle. And like, you know, you don't want to go overboard, but if you're doing just little, little bits and bits and bobs and working some stability and balance and things like that, like you can get away with it a little bit more. So like I said, it's, it's a layered answer. Um, but I, I definitely am a, am a firm believer in the value of a, of a strong and stable core for us as runners and the benefits that it gives us. Um, not just in running, but it definitely works. It's valuable for us as runners. Um, so if you're not doing any type of core workout, you, I would say you should, I would encourage you strongly to mix that in at least once or twice a week. But if you, but depending on what your other workouts or other little things or other things that you're doing, you might be getting some sneaky core work in most days. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I wouldn't do a core focused workout every day, but if you're mixing it in here and there most days, not the worst scenario, not the worst scenario. So hopefully that helps David, but thank you for the question. Appreciate it. Uh, next question from Rob. Do you monitor your heart rate variability as an indicator of stress levels, which may affect training, recovery, and performance? Kind of, kind of, sort of. Um, so I, I know I've mentioned this once or twice. I, I don't talk about it often, but I, I wear an aura ring. I've been wearing an aura ring now for maybe, maybe a couple of years, something like that. And if anybody's interested, I think I have a code that might give you some sort of discount. I don't know that I do. This isn't like an official sponsored something or another like that. Um, I don't even know. I, I'm sure there's, there's probably some kickback to me to it. Uh, but if anybody's thinking about getting an aura ring, like, let me know. And uh, I'll at least double check if I have a code, uh, no promises. I think I do. Maybe not. I don't know. I'll let you know. Um, but I, I wear an aura ring and, um, you know, it, 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 it certainly measures heart rate variability. Um, I check it. I mean, I check my, my numbers just about every day. Um, but I don't necessarily really, I certainly don't check it before I go out for a run. Um, and I don't know exactly why. I think part of the reason is that I don't want to see the, that I had a rough night of sleep or my heart rate variability was, was poor. Um, and then be like, well, shit, like now, now my run's going to suck today. Like, I just don't want to plant that seed. Um, 
So I, I don't usually check it until after I've finished my run or my workout or whatever I'm doing in the morning. I uh, check it somewhere, you know, mid morning, late morning, early afternoon. Usually, I, like I said, I check it every day, um, but it's not like the first thing I do in the morning. So by the time I check it, I've usually already got my workout in. Um, you know, I'm usually a few cups of coffee deep and like, like, it's just kind of like, I guess I just kind of check it to make sure that things line up about like I'm feeling, you know, if, if I, if I know that I ate late or had a drink or things like that, and then I see the next morning that my, or the next day, whatever, that my, my heart rate variability yesterday was poor. I'm like, yeah, well, it makes sense. I had a, I had a drink before bed. Like that's going to have an impact. It has an impact every single time. Um, not surprising. Right. Um, you know, same thing if I ate late or if I had, you know, some chocolate late that has the caffeine that jacks up your, your, your system a little bit. Like, like as long as it checks out with what I think is going on, then it makes sense. You know, if I didn't do any of those types of things and my heart rate variability is down and it's like, all right, well, am I overtrained? Like, like I use it as a little bit of a tool, but I don't like, I'm not religious with it. As long as it kind of lines up with where I think, okay. And if it's a little bit outside the bounds, like, is it a one-off? where it, maybe it was a, a poor reading or maybe it was just something was off that day, but like it kind of defaults to the, to the, to the mean the next day, then okay, you know, whatever, no, no big deal. Um, but yeah, I definitely pay attention to it, but I don't, uh, you know, to say that I monitor it might be a little bit strong, might be a little bit strong if that makes sense. But um, thanks for the question. And, and again, Rob or yourself or anybody else, if you're in the market for an aura ring, uh, I'm happy to answer questions about my experience. I'm, I have no affiliation with them at all. As far as like, there's no sponsor. There's no, as far as I know, there's no affiliate links or anything like that, that I have. Uh, I think I just have a discount code that, that again, may or may not even give me anything. Um, but I'm happy to answer the, any questions and, and offer my thoughts on that wearable device, uh, that has doubled as my wedding ring for the last couple of years, which I don't know, good, bad, eh, eh, whatever it is, what it is. It, 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 it works. And, um, like I said, it's, it's at least data. If, if whether or not it's useful data, I don't know, but it's data. So thanks for the question, Rob. Uh, next question from Kate. Should you run with plantar fasciitis? Any tips to get rid of it? Um, so, so this is, this is the second of the, uh, the, what should you do when you have an injury type of situation? Um, and Kate, just like with Hildy's question, it's a, it's a tough one to answer in terms of yes or no. Um, can you run with a mild case of plantar fasciitis? Absolutely. Have I run with a mild case of plantar fasciitis in the bat in the past? Absolutely. Can you resolve a, a mild case of plantar fasciitis while you're still running and training and get to being pain-free completely? Yeah, absolutely. Can you run with plantar fasciitis and make it worse to the point where you can no longer run with plantar fasciitis? Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a slippery slope and it's a, it's a, what is your situation? Where are you at in training? How are you feeling? How bad is it? You know, there's, there's a lot of variables that go into, into play and it's, it's definitely not a yes, you can, or, or you can't, or you should, or you shouldn't type of situation. Um, I, I think that, that again, just like with, with Hildy's question, and I think there's another one or two of these coming up, um, that, that you can more than likely resolve it quicker by not running or at least by reducing your running, um, when you've got some type of niggle, like a plantar fasciitis, but depending on, again, depending on where you are in your training cycle, maybe you're six weeks out from a goal race and like, you're feeling pretty good other than this little bit of, of tightness in your foot. Like I personally probably wouldn't take a bunch of time off in that situation. Like I'd try to manage it, of course, and try to try to get ahead of it, but I'd probably keep on keeping on because I had a goal race coming up. 
if I didn't have a if I didn't have a single race on the calendar, which is kind of where I'm at right now, which is why maybe it's taken making me making it a little bit easier for me to take some time off with my little bursitis tendonitis issue, um, then it's a little bit easier to take some time off, even with a mild case of plantar fasciitis, because you don't have anything on the calendar. So better to take a week off, somewhat optionally, than to be forced to take a couple of months off potentially. Not guaranteed, but it's a it's a possibility. So all that to say, should you run with plantar fasciitis? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you could make an argument that yes, you, you can keep on keeping on. You can make an argument that you probably like, you'd be better off pulling back, um, and anywhere in between. So it's a, it's a question that I can't really answer. I apologize for that. Um, but as for tips to get rid of it, I can give you some suggestions there. And and Trevor, uh, who I haven't heard from in a while, but Trevor, good to see you're still out there, my friend. And, and, and thanks for chiming in, um, responded to, to Kate's question in the, in, in the Facebook thread, with uh, a link back to the book Runner's Fix, which uh, talked with Mike Swinger a couple of times. It's been a couple of years, but he's he's a, a physical therapist, wrote this book. Great book, great reference guide on, on how to work through various niggles and injuries and issues and things like that that runners deal with. Um, and definitely there's, there's a chapter uh, section on plantar fasciitis and some things you can do. So we'd encourage you to check out Mike's book if you haven't done so already. Um, it's, it's a good one. It's a good quality book, good quality guide. Um, lots of great information in there and photos in the whole nine. So check out runner's fix, uh, get yourself a copy if you haven't done so already. And I think Trevor said it paid for it is paid for itself multiple times. Um, by just helping to work through different things, uh, different, different niggles and injuries that pop up. So good, good reference book to have on your shelf, but some, some simple things that you can do stretch, stretch and massage, stretch and massage your calves, stretch and massage the bottoms of your feet, uh, help to loosen up that tissue, both, both in the, the plantar fascia itself and in the calf, um, which can contribute to plantar fasciitis. Um, other things that, that can help, um, would include potentially being barefoot a little bit more around the house, uh, just to help loosen up the, the, the tissues in your feet. Um, and, and also something that I think is often overlooked, not just the plantar fasciitis, but it's, it's there as well. Um, but just a lot of running issues in general may be related to the shoes you're wearing when you're not running. So, you know, I, I don't know what your, your professional situation is, Kate, and what kind of, you know, dress code situation you might have, but if you're, you know, wearing dress shoes to work every day that tend to have a pointier toe and maybe a heel and things like that, um, that can wreak havoc on your feet and can definitely contribute to plantar fasciitis. Um, so if you're able to, you know, go with a flat shoe, um, something that's, that's a little bit more foot shaped, even if it's not, you know, a, a straight up foot shaped thing, but like something that's wider in the toe box, because sometimes pushing the, the, the big toe in, which any type of pointed shoe is going to typically do, um, that can, again, without getting too deep into the, the physiology weeds, research shows that that can relate to plantar fasciitis. So if you can get something that straightens that, that toe back out, maybe get some toe spacers, even if you can't wear them with your shoes, but you can wear them around the house in the evening, um, that can help. So lots of, lots of those types of things that are just good general foot health tips, um, can definitely help to, to get rid of plantar fasciitis and then ultimately keep it away, which is, which hopefully is the goal. Once you, once you solve this once, only solve it once, you know, don't have to keep revisiting plantar fasciitis every couple of weeks or months or things like that. Um, knock it out and then just stay on top of the stretching, the massaging, um, working on your feet 
and hopefully that'll lick it once. In, oh, maybe maybe lick it is a poor choice of words talking about feet. No no fetishes here. Um, and it, you know if if that's your thing, hey, you know you do you, boo. There's no 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 judgment. Uh, but maybe you can get maybe you can kick the foot issues. There there's a better a better uh, metaphor or analogy or whatever that is. Uh, but you can kick the foot issues once and for all um, by just continuing to to work on it just a little bit here and there. Um, you know, prevention versus cure, that type of thing. But uh, thanks for the question, Kate. Thanks for chiming in, Trevor. Uh, appreciate both of you uh, for the contribution here. Uh, next question from Hilda. How often do you strength train when you're not racing or during a quote-unquote off-season? What about when you're training for a race? Um, honestly, my in my ideal world, my strength training routine doesn't really change no matter where I'm at on, on a race calendar or race cycle or whatever. Um, outside of, you know, maybe in, in the taper and maybe in the, the immediate recovery post race, um, in those instances, I'm not going to do like a lot of heavy, stressful power type of, of strength training. Um, but I'm still going to do some type of strength training typically, uh, you know, whether it's, it's more upper body focused, um, or whether it's more kind of mobility, like loosely defined strength training, but maybe more as much mobility as it is actual strength itself. Uh, maybe just some, some, you know, real slow and controlled body weight type of exercises, making sure to really go through the full range of motion. Um, but ideally I'm strength training five days a week. Um, whether I'm not racing, whether I'm in the off season or whether I'm training for a race, um, my, my, my routine as it is, is Monday, Wednesday, Friday tend to be a little bit more upper body focused Tuesday, Thursday, are lower body focused. Um, and you know, to, to David's question earlier, there's usually some, some core work kind of mixed into just about every one of those sessions that's intention, unintentional core work. Uh, but if I'm going to do a core session, it's usually gonna be on a Thursday. So I might do a, sh- a short leg session plus a core session, uh, to kind of get, you know, 15 or 20 minutes total volume. But that's, that's my, my routine. Like I, it's rare that I'll do any strength training longer than 20 minutes in, in, in duration, uh, typically 10 to 15. Uh, well, I, I've been a little bit more focused on getting some 20 minute sessions in, uh, you know, this year, but, but anything longer than that, I'm just like, eh, no, I can't be, I can't be bothered to do a 30 minute session. Um, not that that's right or wrong. That's just what works for me. But, you know, I would definitely say that, that if you're going to be able to get, um, some, some, you know, two, three sessions a week, especially if they're, they're full body sessions, like that's, that's, that's a good place to be. Anything more than that can work. Anything less than that is better than nothing. But that, that's probably the sweet spot. Um, but I, I, you know, in, a, in the perfect world, which I don't necessarily live in, but in so far this year, it's been pretty good that I've been pretty much, you know, every single day I've got my strength training in, um, in part because I put it on my calendar. Now I get a, I get a reminder every morning, um, at 11 AM, do your strength work. Uh, and if I look at my calendar and 11 o'clock is not going to work, I just shift that alert to a different time of the day when it's, when it's doable. Um, but that's, that's helped a lot. You know, get that reminder, get that alert on your phone. Hey, oh yeah, I need to do my strength work today. Um, and knock on wood, so far, so far, so good. So I'm, I'm a component, I'm a proponent of strength training. And unlike some of my other things that I rant and rave about, foam rolling specifically, yoga as well, um, strength training is an area where I, I really do, a, I think, a pretty good job of practicing what I preach. But it's good for us as runners. It's good for us as humans. Um, and I wouldn't say that it should ebb and flow based on your training situation. Like it should be a part of your regular routine period. At least it is for me. You, you do you, but I, I strength train every Monday through Friday, if at all possible. So thank you for the question, my lady. Hope, hope your, your recovery is going well and, and getting back out there more and more consistently, uh, without any issues. 
Uh, next question from Daryl, best exercise slash way to prevent slash help with shin splints. So we're covering the gamut. We got, we got tendonitis today. We got plantar fasciitis today. Now we got shin splints today and shin splints, quite honestly, Daryl, it's a lot of the same uh, type of advice that I gave to Kate in terms of shin, in terms of her plantar fasciitis question. Um, but a lot of times shin splint issues come from weak arches, um, or flat arches, which can also come from weak arches. But if, if you're able to do some work on the bottoms of your feet to strengthen your, your, your foot musculature, the little muscles that are in your feet, that goes a long way towards helping to, to resolve and ultimately prevent shin splints. So walking around barefoot in the house is a great option. Um, doing some types of things where you're picking up like little, whether it's marbles or dice or game pieces or whatever, something that you don't mind getting your feet on, but picking those up with, with your toes, um, and just, you know, contracting your, your feet and, and picking it up and, and setting it down. Uh, that's a great way to strengthen the muscles in your feet. Um, you can also do something that, that I think is called towel scrunches, or maybe there's a better name for it than that, but you set like a hand towel on the floor and you set the ball of your foot on the edge of the hand towel and use your toes to kind of extend forward, grab quote unquote, grab the towel and pull it towards you and then release that, extend your toes back forward. It's a little bit sloppy, but that's, that's a good exercise as well to work those muscles in your feet. But that's ultimately the best, the best way to do it, um, is, is to strengthen the muscles in your feet that supports your arch, which ultimately helps to take some pressure or at least theoretically, but usually ultimately helps to take some pressure off your anterior tibialis muscle, which is the muscle where shin splints occur. It runs along the inside part of your shin, attaches down into your, I believe it's your navicular. Do I still have my, my foot anatomy correct? My, it attaches into the navicular bone in your arch. Um, and by supporting that bone and just your arch in general, it puts less strain on the anterior tibialis muscle when, you, when you're running, which then puts less strain on, on, like I said, it puts less strain on the muscle, which is less likely then to develop shin splints over time. So good luck. Shin splints are brutal, um, not a lot of fun. So hopefully, again, solve the problem once and be done with it. And then you just work on it every once in a while by being barefoot, doing some toe exercises, et cetera, et cetera. Good luck to you, my friend. Thanks for the question. Uh, next question from the man with two first names, Mr. Jason Dennis. For those of us in the Southeast, me and Georgia, what are some tips for training for different conditions like elevation, even potential snow out West? I'm planning a 26.2 in early April in either Oregon, Utah, or Washington state. Denny, you want to join me? Um, so I'll answer that, that's that last part first, you know, Jason, I'd, I'd love to join you. Just hire me as a, as a concierge coach. Um, and part of that, what you get at that level is I'll, I'll not only will I join you for the race, I'll run with you side by side, hopefully pace you to a, uh, a new PR, you know, um, that's, that's part of what you get. Dizruns.com slash concierge or Dizruns.com slash coaching to, to get the details. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a surefire way to get me to join you for a race is, is hire me to, to then race with you. There, there you go. Problem solved. Um, but as, as, as far as, uh, the, the earlier part of your question there, Jason, how do you, how do you train when the conditions where you're going to race are, are nowhere near what you have available to you at, at home? Um, and I think this is one of those situations where maybe for me, and, and I know I, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's also kind of true. Like me being the, the type B minus person that I am, I'm just like, meh, it is what it is, but ultimately it is what it is. And, and for all you type A runners out there, like, I know you hate it when I'm just like, it is what it is, but, but what are you going to do? You, you live in, in Georgia, you live in Florida, you live in, in Des Moines. I mean, I don't care where you live. If you're living somewhere where you're not going to have lots of mountains or lots of elevation where you're not running at 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 feet, 
and yet you're looking for a race and potentially running a race because you're trying to get different states or it's a destination race or whatever, where you're going to be scaling mountains or you're going to be running at 6,000 feet. Like there's no way to prepare for that, but there kind of is. There's no way to prepare for those specific conditions because you're just, you're not going to find, at least I'm not going to find thousands of feet of gain. I mean, you, you look, you, and we've made jokes about this, but it's true. If you look at my, my Strava from back when I was still running, which was only a couple days ago, but uh, hopefully I'll be back to it again soon. But my, my little loop around my neighborhood, my five and a half or six mile loop, like there's like 10 feet of elevation change. And that's just because I start my watch when I'm first step out of my door. And, you know, I go down four feet from my driveway, you know, to the, to the road. Uh, and then there's a couple of times I bounce up onto the sidewalk and then bounce back down. So that's like the 10 feet of elevation that I get. Like, that's it. How am I going to train for a race that's got 20,000 feet of elevation change? I'm not. Even if I find, you know, the, the overpasses or the parking garages or things like that, that you can do to kind of simulate some hills or the, the handful of hills that we have in Lakeland, like, like my hilliest route, I'm going to have a couple hundred feet of elevation over the course of 20 miles. Like that's not going to prepare me for, you know, the, the, um, Blue Ridge marathon or any of those big races out West that, that have lots of, of climb to it. Okay. So you do it, you do the best you can with what you've got. While I can't prepare for those specific conditions, while I can't prepare living at, you know, whatever, 400 feet above sea, I don't even probably live at 400 feet, probably 40 feet above sea level. Um, I can't, I can't prepare for a race that's in Denver in terms of preparing my lungs to not have oxygen. Right. But if I show up at a race in Denver, or on a mountain somewhere or whatever. And I'm well-trained, well-fit. I've, I've been doing my strength training. I've been getting my miles in. Like my heart, my, my aerobic system is strong and fit and, and my body's good. Like that's, that's the best I can do. And that's going to make my race in those conditions a lot better than if I show up going, Oh, I, I don't, I can't really train for this race. So like, why bother? You know, I can't train for the, the, the conditions. So whatever, I mean, it's just going to be miserable. Like, well then, yeah, it's going to be miserable. And it might not be great, but at least I'm, I'm well-trained. So ultimately that's, that's the answer. Like focus on what you can do. And then maybe you even lean into the advantages that you do have. If it's going to be colder, potentially snowy, but you're able to train in like the heat of Georgia or Florida or Mississippi, maybe not right now, but through the summer months, like that's going to help you when you get to a race where maybe there's some elevation, but it's also 50 degrees cooler than what you've run in for the last six months, like that's going to give you a boost. Cause you're not, you're not, it might even be warm for the locals or at least warm ish for the locals. It's not going to be warm for you. So you've got that going for you. You don't have to worry about heat issues more than likely. So take what you can get, use, use your situation, your local environment to your advantage. Um, but just, you know, train the best you can be as well fit as, as, as you possibly can to the start line. That's going to, that's going to help you more than just about anything else. So you, you do the best you can. And then maybe you, you adjust your expectations. You know, when I ran Blue Ridge half a dozen years ago or however long ago it's been, um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to PR that day. Like I knew that my 500 feet of elevation training, tra- you know, tra- uh, elevation change that I, you know, did everything I could to find probably wasn't going to prepare me for the 18,000 or 22,000 or whatever thousand feet of, of gain I was going to get that day. So, you know, I went into it, had fun with it, walked some, ran some, you know, just enjoyed the day. And sometimes when you're traveling to races, like that's, that's the best advice anyway. So good luck. And, and, uh, yeah, if you want me to tag along, Jason, just, you know, sign on up, sign on up. Like the million dollar man said, everybody's got a price. 
I'm, I'm open for business, open for business. But thanks for the question, my friend. Next question from Michaela. How often do your quick tips come from the snippets of conversations that you have with your athletes? Um, probably more often than I, than I, than I realize even to be quite honest. I, I think that there's a lot of times where, you know, I'm thinking of ideas and what, what kind of topics should I, should I cover? What, what things are, 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 you know, are worth having a quick tip about. And even if there's not a direct tie into, I talked to X, Y, Z person and they're dealing with this struggle. And so like, Hey, let's make that into a, into a quick tip, which sometimes there is, sometimes there absolutely is, but sometimes it's just like, it's something that's going on in the, in the back of my mind. And, and it's like, Oh yeah, well, what about this? And this might work. And like, like, it, like maybe it came onto my radar because of a conversation with somebody. Um, so even though it, there, there wasn't like a conscious connection between this conversation on Tuesday and that Friday's quick tip episode, um, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it happens. Um, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll mention it or, or at least allude to it. Sometimes it's just, it's just going on in the background. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, struggles and issues and things like that, that, that one person is dealing with, usually there's other people that are dealing with them too. And so, um, so yeah, like I said, it, it's not, not often that it's intentional, but I'm sure it happens a lot. I'm sure it happens a lot. And I'm sure that sometimes the folks I've had those conversations are listening in and going, huh, yep, this, this came from that and it may have, but it may not have been as intentional as you might think. Um, but, ho- but hopefully, you know, it, it, if it's helping one person, it might help another person. And so, um, that's where, when it, when it is intentional, that's, that's, that's the reason that's the reason. Um, uh, but you know, we all have, we all have our things we're struggling with. And sometimes that's where the ideas come from. Um, so yeah, it happens. It happens. I, I couldn't quantify it, but it definitely, definitely happens. But thanks for the question. Uh, another question. Well, not another question because it's not from Michaela or from anybody else that's asked, asked a question, but we do have another question. And this one comes from Liz. Should those with hyper mobile knees use zero drop shoes? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I feel like I've been on record before is saying that we tend to be quick to blame shoes and that I don't think the shoes are as often the problem as we think they are. Um, so without knowing all the details of, of what your hypermobile knees look like, Liz, and, and all those types of things, could the, could the shoes be not good for you? Could a zero-drop shoe be not good for you? Yeah, I, I suppose. I suppose it could. Could the zero-drop shoes have no impact on your on your knee issue, on your hypermobility of your knees? Yeah, probably. Um, I think that there's probably other things that are also potentially factors. Um, and again, I, I don't know all the details and what details I might, might be able to have inferred. I don't want to, I'm not trying to air anybody's laundry here, but like stride length, cadence, strength, strength, potential deficiencies or things like that. Overuse. Like there's, there's probably a dozen factors that could contribute to potential knee issues that you might have because your knees are hypermobile. So, and shoes could be one of them. Shoes could absolutely be one of them. Uh, but I think that, that what you got to do is, or what, what I would do if I was in that situation is, you know, try to control for, you know, try to go back to the scientific method, right? And as much as possible, try to control for one variable. And so whether I'd start with zero drop shoes or or having another option and, you know, run them with one for a month and the other for a month and see if there's a difference. If there is, then maybe, maybe we, you know, should or shouldn't wear the shoes. Um, If not, then all right, well, what else could we test for? Could we test for stride length or could we test for doing some mobility work or, or whatever, you know, but, but I just, I just think there's a lot more factors into potential issues with, with 
joint issues and, and knees and ankles and hips and whatever than, than just the shoes more often than not. And yes, I've been a proponent of zero drop shoes. I, I, I think that in general, zero drop probably better than not zero drop. Um, but that's just in general. And, and there's going to be an exception to every rule. And there's probably a half a dozen exceptions to that. And I wouldn't even call that a rule necessarily. So, um, lots of things to think about, but I, I am always hesitant to just be like, XYZ shoe is not good for this condition or this person. Um, I just think there's too many other variables at play. So sorry to kind of dodge your question, but it's, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, it's another one of those N equals one scenarios. And maybe for you, zero drop shoes might be a problem. Maybe for you, they're not, but for somebody else with the exact same level of, of hypermobility in their knees or, or in a, some other joint, um, the exact opposite very well could be true because of all of the factors that are potentially at play. So good luck with, with, if, if you are having issues, good luck with resolving it. Um, and, and hopefully it's not a shoe issue because it's nice to have options when it comes to shoes, but if it is, hopefully it can be something that's, that's that easy of a fix to just get out of those shoes. And in that case, maybe it was the shoes. That's the, that's the problem, but good luck with you, Liz. Hopefully uh, things are going well and you're having a, a good start to the year. Um, next question from Heather. What are your top tips for someone training for their first ultra race? Ooh, girl. Yeah, that, I'm assuming that means that you're, you're joining the ranks of the crazy, the, the ultra folks. Um, and so, you know, if, if that's you, and I'm going to make some assumptions here, Heather, and uh, obviously correct me where I'm wrong, but uh, I'm going to assume that if this is you, and if you're training for your first ultra, that you're, that you're wading into the shallow end of the pool. You know, you're looking for something in that 50K range as opposed to, one of those really, really crazy is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to run my first ultra and it's going to be a hundred miles. Like if that's the case, then, th- then these tips probably, um, are, are maybe don't work as well. But if you're, if your first ultra is going to be a 50 K you've done a few marathons before, which I think is your case, but I don't, I don't know all your details there, Heather. Um, but you know, I know I've said it before, maybe on the show, maybe just in, in conversation with, with some of my athletes or on Facebook or whatever. Um, but training for a 50K really isn't that different than training for a marathon. Like, it really isn't. Yes, the 50K is longer, okay? But that doesn't mean you have to do a lot more mileage on race day or uh, in, in preparation for race day just because the race distance is longer. And that's because you're going to attack, quote-unquote, your 50K a lot differently than you would attack a marathon in terms of pacing, in terms of expectation, et cetera, et cetera. And also, and maybe even especially... If your 50K, assuming you're doing a 50K, is a trail race versus a road race. Like, like I know I've talked about this before, um, and I wish it wasn't true, but it's so hard to accurately explain the difference in vibe from a trail ultra, a trail 50K, versus a road marathon. And just how much more laid back it is and how much more chill it is. And for a road runner, their first time dipping their toes in that trail running, ultra running scene... Like, it's hard to accept the whole, like, walk a lot, you know? Like, have fun. Don't worry about your pace. Don't worry about your time. Don't worry about don't worry about much of anything other than getting from one aid station to the next. If you keep doing that, eventually you get to the finish line and you'll, you'll finish your first ultra. And so ultimately, my top tips are don't worry about your pace. Um, have fun. Don't freak out about training because it's not that different than your, than your marathon. Do you want to maybe do a little bit longer? You know, if you, if you capped out your marathon training at 20 or 22 miles, you know, sure. If you want to go 22 to 24, go for it. If you want to jump into a, a, a marathon and run it 
as a training run, that's a vi- viable option as well. Um, if you want to do an S and G, Hey, you know, your, your boy's done that a few times. Uh, so you can do that, but you don't need to, you know, if you wanted to mix in a couple of, of back to backs, we did a couple of, you know, like a 15 miler and a 10 miler that works, that works or a 15 miler. And then a, a 14 miler, you know, whatever, something like that, where you're getting 25, 30 miles, but you're doing them on consecutive days as opposed to the same day. That's a good option, but you don't need to, you don't need to have fun going with no time goal just to finish, um, walk early, walk often. Don't worry about walking. Take your time at the aid stations, chat it up, have fun. That's, that's the best tips for the first ultra. Um, and then after that, after you've done a few, and if you want to start racing them a little bit harder, you can race them a little bit harder, but I'll tell you what, like as much as I kind of have some focused goals on, on pacing and racing for road races, when I get into an ultra straight chilling, straight chilling. You know, when I did that 45 in November, I legit spent four or five minutes playing with a dog every lap because there was a dog at one of the aid stations. And so, and I wasn't even worried in the slightest about my pace. Like I was like, there's a dog and I'm going to get some dog kisses and it's going to be awesome. And it was awesome. Um, and, and as much as I love dogs on a road race, like I'm probably not going to, unless, unless things are going sideways and they weren't going sideways at all at, at that race. Um, unless they're going really sideways, I'm not going to stop and play with a dog during a road race, but during an ultra on a trail, 10 out of 10 will stop and play with a dog if the opportunity presents itself. So, you know, go into it, have fun, relax. Don't worry about your time. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Even if you're quote unquote, just walking, that's we're, we're all, we all walk during ultras. Uh, most of us walk during ultras. So don't worry about it. Have fun with it. Can't wait to hear how it goes for you, Heather. Good luck. Uh, next question from Rick. What are your thoughts on taking advice from a fellow race participant during the race? FYI, I took the guy's advice and I think it paid off. Maybe. Um, I think it depends on the advice, quite frankly. Uh, you know, if somebody's going to try to tell me that my, my pacing strategy or my fueling strategy, or I'm running too fast or I'm running too slow or things like that, like tap the brakes, keep your thoughts to yourself. I don't, I don't need, I don't need, maybe he's, maybe the person's right. You know, maybe I am running too fast too early or something like that, but like, I've got my strategy, right? I've got my goals. Like he doesn't know what my goals are, or what my training look like or things like that. So like, yeah, I don't need your advice, but if he's given some logistical advice, especially if the person is maybe local, maybe I'm running an out of town race and they're running a local race. They've run the race a thousand times, maybe not a thousand times, but maybe they've run the course dozens of times. Maybe they've run the race a handful of times and, and they're like, Hey, you know, you're talking in the corral, right? Like, like just as a hypothetical, but in this type of situation where I'd absolutely take their advice, you're talking in the corral, like, Hey, you know, like, have you run this race before? Oh no. You know, it's my first time. Oh, I've, I've run it every year. Uh, I love this race. It's my favorite race in the world. Oh, cool. Like, that's awesome. I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, PR. And so any, any tips on, on, you know, things I should look out for or whatever. Oh yeah. There's this tricky little hill at, at mile, you know, whatever at mile 14 that, that you look at it on the GPS on the, on the, the profile. It doesn't look like much, but I'm telling you, like it's, it's a thing. So be, be, be prepared for that. Um, and also, you know, there's this, there's this, this kind of turny section, or there's this area where the course narrows before it's really spread out. And so you might want to go out just a little bit hot to get in front of the crowd right there. So you can, you don't get too bogged down and everybody else around like that type of information that somebody might be willing to share with you. Like that's, that's valuable Intel that I'm going to probably use. So, um, it just depends on the advice. You know, if, if somebody's saying, Hey, you know, you really should probably start fueling, like shut your mouth. Like, you don't know me. You don't know how fat adapted I am. You don't know what's in my water bottles. Like, you don't know. Um, but if somebody's like, yeah, make sure you save a little gas in your tank because 
it says there's not, it says it's flat from that last, you know, the last four miles of the race, but I'm telling you, it's not flat. I've run it a dozen times and there's, there's a couple of Hills through there. They're, they're, they're not, they're not huge, but they're not nothing. That's good advice. So, so yeah, it depends on the advice. If it's logistical advice about the, the race itself or specifics about the race, that's probably good stuff to keep in mind. Um, if it's, if it's tactical advice about what I'm doing and I feel like I'm prepared and I know what I'm doing, you can take your advice and put it where, you know, where, where, where you might not want it, but I don't want it either. So whatever, you know what I mean? So that's, that's my take, but Hey, you know, if the guy gave you some good advice, nothing wrong with that. No, you know, an advice is kind of like opinions. It's kind of like, you know, what's, um, you know, you can, you can hear it. Doesn't mean you have to follow it. So I don't know. Those, those are, I guess, my thoughts, Rick, but hopefully that that's helpful for you. Um, I guess it's kind of like these Q and A's, right? Like, like I'm giving some advice. I'm giving some suggestions. Yeah. Not saying that you should necessarily always take it. Not saying that it's necessarily always good, but I'll put it out there and it's up to you on, you know, take, take the bits that are maybe useful, let go of the bits that aren't. And uh, hopefully in the grand scheme of things, it works out for you in the end. But uh, thank you for the question, my friend. Stay warm. Stay warm as I know it's still winter in Minnesota. (laughs) Next question. Speaking of winter, still winter in New York. Next, next it's time for the, uh, the the, uh, monthly Tom trifecta. First one from Tom. I hate preparing for spring marathons because I have to run through the winter months. Yeah. I I'm starting to think that that might be a thing that more people would be wise to try to avoid. But anyway, back to Tom's question. Uh, we've had a lot of snow here in Western New York since the beginning of January. A lot of my runs, especially speed workouts have been slower than my goal pace because of snow slush ice and everything in between. I try to put in the appropriate effort to get my goal pace. Even if road conditions force me to go slower, how does quote unquote right effort, but slower pace work out over time. By the way, I wear waterproof shoes with gaiters and waterproof outer layers. I'm staying dry, uh, but running in snow slush is like running in really cold sand. So, um, Tom, I, I, uh, I'm not dismissing your question. I promise I'm not dismissing your question. Um, but I kind of feel like you're setting me up to, to get on my heart rate training bandwagon. You know, how does, how does appropriate effort, um, even if I'm running slower, how does the right effort, but slower pace work out over time? Well, damn Tom, it works out really well. In my experience, in my N equals one, not worrying about pace, but worrying about the right effort is phenomenal. Okay. To your point, to your question, um, with a little bit less tongue in cheek, a little bit more trying to hopefully give you some serious advice and a little bit of, of boost to your confidence that, that you're doing the right thing because I hundred percent believe you're doing the right thing. Our body doesn't know pace, right? Pace is man-made pace. Anything time related, that's a man-made construct. Okay. Which is fine. I mean, I, I, look at my pace regularly. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on numbers and like, that's, that's fine. But that's all man-made stuff that our bodies know nothing about. All our bodies know is effort. That's all they knows. And the, the adaptations that we make to training, to, to lifting weights, to doing other activities, whatever the case might be are in direct result or direct proportion or whatever that like there, there's, there's a relationship between the effort that it takes, how that, how, and then our body responds to make that effort more manageable. Okay. Nothing to do with pace, nothing to do with weights, nothing to do with, with any of those types of things. It's just how much effort is required to, to get this job done. So if, if your pace is slower than you might like to be, but given the conditions you're working at the right level, then your body's responding in kind. Okay. Uh, period, period. So don't worry about the pace as much. Even if you're, you know, once the snow melts, you're going to worry more about your pace. That's fine. Um, but ultimately what your body is doing is going to run at, you know, here, here's is an example to run it at nine minute pace, which probably isn't fit you, Tom, but hopefully the illustration proves what I'm trying to say to run at nine minute pace requires a seven out of 10 effort. All right. 
on dry, flat roads, on slushy, snow-covered, sort of icy, slushy roads, running at a 10-minute pace gets that same 7 out of 10 effort. Your body doesn't care about the pace. Your body's like, all right, 7 out of 10, we got to respond here. We got to get stronger here. We got to repair this muscle. We got to get this, this adaptation to happen. You're good to go. You're good to go. You're getting what you need. You're putting the work in. Your body's going to respond. And then when all of a sudden the snow melts and it's, it's you know, April and, and you're getting ready, you know, locking down for that race, that 7 out of 10 is 7 out of 10. And now all of a sudden that 7 out of 10 results in that 9-minute pace or that 8.30 pace or whatever because you put in the right effort irregardless of the pace. So, you know, not that that's not, not that you meant to make this be a plug for heart rate training, but you kind of made it a plug for heart rate training, my friend. Not saying, but I'm just saying it's all about the effort pace doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Cause your body doesn't know what pace is. Your body knows effort. If you're training in the right efforts, the body responds the way you want it to. And over time, it tends to work out pretty darn well, as far as I'm concerned. But thanks for that first question. Tom's next question. How do you balance safety with entertainment when you listen to music and podcasts while running? I do not listen to anything while running for fear of not hearing traffic and other things. I am genuinely curious. So that's a solid question, Tom, and something that I know that that you're not the only one that struggles with, Um, trying to to balance the two, right? And so for me, um, I wear my headphones when I run just about every run, um, unless I'm running with somebody, of course, in in which case I'm not going to. On race day, I'm more likely to, to start with them around my neck and then put them on uh, towards the, you know, the latter half or the latter third of the race to try to get a little bit of a boost. Um, but as far as safety concerns, um, I guess I guess my thought is, well, here's my situation, right? Most of my runs during the week, Monday through Friday, 99 times out of 100, I'm running through my neighborhood. Right. And I live in a small, like not small neighborhood. I mean, six miles of, of running that I can do through the neighborhood pretty easy without doubling back, except for down and backs on cul-de-sacs and whatnot. Um, but like, there's no through traffic. It's, it's a, a enclosed or self-contained community. Right. Um, the only people that, that are driving in here are people that are, that are live, that are residents. Most of my runs start at five thirty in the morning. So most of the residents aren't up and moving yet. Like they might be out walking the dog, couple of them out running, things like that. But there's not a lot of traffic at that hour. Um, it's dark. So if there is traffic, I can usually see the headlights because people usually put their headlights on when they're driving in the dark. Um, and the speed limits are, you know, 15 miles an hour or 25 miles an hour. So even if people are going a little bit faster than, than posted, they're not driving 60 miles an hour down, you know, these little neighborhood streets, right? So all that to say, if I've got my headphones on, I'm running with my dog, between 5.30 and 6.30 in the morning, like, I know that there's cars that are potentially coming, and I know a couple of the intersections where there's more likely to be a little bit of traffic. I'm, I'm, I'm aware, right? I'm aware of my surroundings, but I'm not worried about getting run down by a car in my neighborhood. Maybe that's a, a, a poor judgment on my part, but so far, touch wood, haven't even had any, haven't even had a single close call in my neighborhood in seven years of running here probably more than that. Cause we've lived here for, gosh, we've lived here for 12 years now, 13 years now. Um, been really probably regularly running for 10 of them. So in 10 years, zero close calls, like not saying it can't happen, but I'm pretty comfortable here. Um, in terms of when I go outside of my neighborhood, you know, I try to be, be smart, try to not run on busy roads as much as possible. Now, you know, certain parts of town, like at least, especially when I come out of my neighborhood originally, like I kind of can't necessarily avoid it. 
So I'm going to run against traffic so I can see the traffic that's coming, right? Uh, I'm going to be aware of the traffic that's coming. If there's a sidewalk option, I'm probably going to take the sidewalk. Um, and, and, you know, if push comes to shove and there's been a couple of like, not super close calls, but like there's been a couple of times when I'm not entirely sure the car is paying attention, like get off the road, you know? And I, I don't feel like that had any difference whether or not I had the, the headphones on, like I'm paying attention. I'm on, I'm on alert. Uh, if I'm running in town, I'm running on quiet streets and typically running early in the morning. Um, you know, try not to run in the busy parts of the day. So it's, it's just kind of a, a whole, a holistic, I guess, kind of approach to my safety. Um, I'm also, you know, and you are as well, Tom, but, but let's not, you know, overlook the fact that like as a dude, um, sadly, I don't feel like I have to be as aware of, um, of situations that maybe the ladies might feel like when they're out running by themselves, you know, it's sad state of affairs, but it's, it's not, it's not unfounded. Um, and I, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't maybe run in areas where I would, I would feel a little bit more concerned or nervous about my safety by just being out running by myself. Um, you know, and, and it, it is what it is. It's, it's the privilege. It's where I live. It's, it's what it, being a white dude. Like, like it, it is what it is, but that, that factors into things too. So like, there's really not a lot that I'm worried about. I guess the only thing that I would be sort of maybe considered worried about would be a dog. But even then, like, I'm not that worried about a dog. Like, and, and maybe it's, maybe I should be more concerned about those types of things. I know we've heard stories in the Facebook group, people talking about, you know, what do you do? Like I, I got attacked by this dog, blah, 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 blah. And I don't mean to dismiss those. I'm just, I've been around dogs my whole life. Like I'm not concerned about a stray dog, even dogs that like, don't look like they're, they're here for, for your enjoyment. Like I feel like I know how to handle myself in those situations. And of course there could be a dog that's just crazy and he's hell bent on getting after me. And in that case I'd be in trouble, but I, I'd also be in trouble if I didn't have my headphones on. Right. So, so that's how I, that's how I balance it. Um, you know, and, and I'll keep the volume low, especially in certain parts of, of roads where there's not a, a big shoulder, things like that, where, or maybe where I'm worried about a car potentially coming up behind me, but more often than like, it's rare that I'm going to run on the quote unquote wrong side of the road. So I never have to worry about a car coming up behind me. Um, that's how I balance it. That's how I balance it. Right or wrong. I, you know, you be the judge. And, and ultimately just like a lot of things, you got to do what works best for you. If, if you're not comfortable with having headphones on or listening to things um, while you're running because of this, the environment or whatever traffic or, or just generally being a little bit more, um, you know, just nervous about the surroundings for one reason or another, then clearly you don't wear your headphones and that's, and that's fine. Um, but that's, that's how I get around it. And, and, um, I'm currently using like the bone conducting the aftershock. So like my ears are open, so I'm, I'm able to hear more anyway, but I, I did the same thing when I was wearing the earbuds, you know, and they were in my ears and I definitely couldn't hear very much going around on around me. Um, I just, you know, I guess I am willing to roll my dice, roll the dice a little bit. And some of that stuff, um, in the name of, if, if, in the name of entertainment, which sounds terrible, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I'm just comfortable with that level of risk, I guess. And hopefully it doesn't come back to bite me literally or metaphorically at some point in the future. Last of the questions from Tom and Tommy, this is, you know, you ask two really good questions. And then this one just makes me want to say, Tom, 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 do you think the Detroit lions can ever get a quarterback like Matt Stafford? <sighs> Cut to the heart, Tom. Cut to the heart. Uh, I don't wish, I don't wish ill, on Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. 
but that was a that was a mean spirited question to ask Tom, and uh, this Lions fan is going to hold that against you for a little while. Probably not for very long. Probably not by the end of the episode. But for right now, I don't like you. I don't think because of course for those of you that don't follow sports ball, um, Matt Stafford, quarterback of the Rams, they just won the Super Bowl. He was the, the quarterback for the Lions for like a decade until we traded him to the Rams, and then he won the Super Bowl. So. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe the maybe they'll never get another Matt Stafford. Maybe that was it. Um, but a, a Lions fan. This is this is this is prime time of the year to be a Lions fan. Let, let the record show. It's the off season. Things are looking rosy. Optimism abounds. Um, so you know, hopefully, maybe we can get Stafford 2.0 in the draft one of these years. We'll see. We'll see. As always, Tom. Thanks for the questions. I appreciate you. Uh, and and good luck with your training. And don't worry about your pace. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. Uh, two questions left. One from Barb. I just read your email about performing your math test. I know it's been covered before, but to recap, if someone has not done one before, what do you do? How long slash far would the test be? I know it should be as controlled as possible from run to run. Uh, what is the targeted pace? Do you do them every month, two months, every three? What else should we take into account? So, uh, great question, Barb. And, and I'm always down to talk about math tests. I'm always talking down to talk about anything heart rate training related as, as many of you know. Uh, but, but basically, uh, so, so the math test. Stands for MAF stands for maximum aerobic functioning test. So it's, that, that's even though it's a it's kind of Maffetone Phil Maffetone's test is he didn't this isn't one of those tests where he named it after himself. It's it's just an abbreviation for maximum aerobic function. And one of the things that's difficult when it comes to heart rate training or just training by effort in general, kind of to Tom's question earlier, is that it's hard to know what progress you're making because it just kind of feels easy and you don't always see the paces creep up because you're just kind of running easy, you know. Um, versus if you're always hammering, you kind of know that like, oh, I got faster because you're running at top speed all the time. When you're running easy, when you're doing heart rate training, you're, you're probably not running at top speed very often, if, if ever outside of race day or certain workouts. So what the math test does is it helps you to see the progress you're making, or at least hopefully making, um, when you're running at an aerobic level. So what you do is you, you determine what your upper limit of heart rate is going to be. And so for the, the Maffetone method, if you will, uh, the method that I follow, and not that everybody needs to follow this method, but you you, you determine your maximum aerobic heart rate by, by the basic formula is 180 beats minus your age. So now that I just turned 40, my uh, my, my limit is 140. So, um, and there's some adjustments there to, to adjust based on your certain, certain situation, but that's the, the simple formula, 180 minus age. So you say 140. Now you're not going to hold your heart rate perfectly at 140 for the entirety of your test. So what I do is I think I have like a four beat window. So I go like 137, 138, 139, 140. So anywhere between 137 and 140 works for me. Okay. I want to try to keep my heart rate in that range. Am I perfect? No, I get a couple of 135s. I get a couple of 141, 142, but I'm, I'm constantly keeping an eye on my heart rate and trying to make sure that I'm in that 130, 137 to 140 beat window during the test. And so then what you do is you, you pick a route, pick a, a, an easily repeatable route. So it could be something that's, for me, it's outside of my front door in my neighborhood. I have a certain route that I only do on my math tests um, that, you know, goes from the house to the, one of the lakes up front, run around the lake and back as close to a straight line as possible. Uh, but you could do it at a track. You could do it on a treadmill. You could do it anywhere where you can repeat the process as closely as possible from one to the next every single time to try to just mitigate the margin for error. Right, because if you did it, if you did the test one time on a super hilly route, one time on a super flat flat route, one time on a route that was mostly downhill, like clearly that's going to impact your results, right? And make the make the test not so 
uh, accurate in terms of what the results come to, come to be. So you want to run the same route, in the same order, the same everything as much as possible. Uh, somewhere typically between like two and four miles, I think is the general recommendation. You could make an argument that one mile would be enough, um, but probably somewhere in that two to four miles. I think the longer you go within reason, the more accurate the test is going to be, but you don't need to drag it on. My, my, my original route was like four miles. Now I'm down to 3.2. 3.2 is my route. Good enough. Get a, get a good, good three, basically a good 5k, um, at, at math effort. Um, that shows me all I need to know. So, so that's how far, again, you got some wiggle room. You can make it work for yourself. Uh, but somewhere in that range. And then you want to, you, you want to control the, the external factors as much as possible. So maybe, um, you know, what you eat beforehand, if you eat beforehand, what you drink beforehand, if you drink beforehand, time of day, uh, day of the week, things like that, that, that just, you know, for, so for me, and maybe to better illustrate this, when I do a math test, I do it on a Tuesday morning, period. Well, mostly period. Um, because on Tuesday is a a leg strength day for me. So if I were to do my, my math test on a Wednesday and I did my, my leg strength on Tuesday and typically my heavier leg strength on Tuesday, my legs are probably going to be a little bit, a little bit sore, a little bit hungover from the, the strength we got the day before, right? So if I do it on Tuesday, that means I haven't lifted legs since the, the previous Thursday. Monday's a light strength workout for me anyway. So it's like I'm going to be at my most rested and recovered for the most part on Tuesday morning. I also do it Tuesday morning because living in Florida, if I go before the sun comes up, that's usually helps out because obviously high heat, high humidity for nine months a year, that's going to impact my heart rate and impact my, my math test results. Can't do anything about that. I mean, I guess I could run on the treadmill, but that's a non-starter for me. So, you know, at least I go first thing in the morning. I go before I have any coffee. I go before I have anything to eat. I will have a little bit of water before I go out, but that's it to just try to mitigate any increases in heart rate due to digestion or due to caffeine consumption, things like that. So those are the types of things you might want to take into account. If you're going to do your math test in the afternoon or in the evening after work, that's fine. But just keep in mind that if you had something that went crazy at work that day or something crazy with the kids or an argument with your, with your significant other or whatever, you know, any of those types of life factors that can get in the way during the day, that elevated stress or whatever the case might be could very well impact your heart rate, could very well impact your math test. So just something to keep in mind. Um, I try to, I mean, training heart rate, I mean, I've said this before, I try to run first thing in the morning anyway because that's just going to minimize caffeine, stress, life, et cetera, from impacting my heart rate. But definitely for your math test, I think that's a big deal. Um, but then, you know, you don't have a targeted pace. You have a targeted heart rate range. I think you already mentioned that. Um, but the, 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 the variable that we're testing is your pace. So you keep your heart rate in this, in this narrow window, three, four, five, six beats, something like that. Um, and then at the end, you look at your, your, your math distance. So whether it's two miles, three miles, whatever, and you can look at mile to mile, you know, what was the pace? I just look at the overall average mile or average pace per that math segment with my heart rate. So then I just can, can compare. I do it about every month. Every two is fine. Every six weeks is fine. It's not like a a set, a a hard set, but the more, there's no reason to do it every week. But if you do it like every month or every six weeks, you have a pretty good idea on how things are going and what, what progress you're hopefully making. Um, and I just look back at my, my little, actually I have a sticky note of it. I need to put it into a spreadsheet, but I don't like spreadsheets. So whatever. Um, but I have a sticky note from, from 2021. That's got my math average time for every math run that I did. I did one per month. 
So I can look back and go, oh, last January I ran 8.44. Last December I ran 8.12 is my average pace. So over the course of the, the six months or sorry, the 12 months, like my overall math pace improved by 30 seconds per mile. Now there were some months that there were a couple months that were better. A couple months that I did uh, 809, I did one 806. Um, and then March, for whatever reason, that was an off month. I did 853. So I kind of regressed a little bit from January, but you know, like, like that happens, there's going to be some flow back and forth month to month. Um, but over, over the course of that last year, my results tended to trend in the right direction. The one I did the other day, 904, not real happy about that one. Kind of made me realize that probably this little thing that's going on in my ankles, a little bit of inflammation, a little bit of irritation, a little bit more than I think is going on. And it definitely impacted my math test. So backing off, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the, that's your math test recap routine route, routine setup going into it, uh, narrow heart rate window, and then see what it does with your pace. And if your aerobic fitness is improving, that pace should keep ticking down a little bit, should keep moving in the right direction of faster pace at the same effort. And that's how you know that your aerobic fitness is improving. So that's the math test. Not so, not so recappy. Well, I guess it's a recappy, but not a brief recap, maybe more detail than you wanted bar, but hopefully that helps. And, uh, any other questions on it, please let me know. Last question. So much for being done in less than an hour, but we're not going to, this we're not touching two hour territory. I don't think, I don't think this question is going to go that long. Uh, but last question comes from CC. How are you doing with your zero shoes? It took me about eight months of heel pain when I changed from ASICs to ultras. Curious to know how you are doing with the drop change. So, um, interesting way to bookend this, this Q and a session, because I'm not convinced that the shoes aren't somehow related to some of the Achilles bursitis, tendonitis issues that I'm having. However, I don't think that there should be much of an issue because ultras should be zero drop. Zeros should be zero drop. So there really shouldn't be a drop change from one shoe to the other. Where I'm not convinced is I'm not convinced that my ultras were zero drop. Whether that's manufactured or whether it's just because I had worn like, I'd put like a thousand miles on them and maybe the, the cushion in the front of the shoe had worn down a little bit uh, to where the heel was creating a bit of a drop. And so when I switched to the zeros that have zero cushioning and definitely zero drop, um, maybe that was causing some of the issue. I don't know. Jury's still out on that. Um, but otherwise I'm loving them. I'm loving the shoes and I'm not convinced that the shoes are the problem. Uh, I'm not convinced that they're not the problem, but, um, once I, once I solve this, this Achilles tightness issue, pain thing going on, uh, I'm not going to get rid of my zeros. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into them. I'm, I'm loving them. Uh, the super light, I wouldn't necessarily call them super comfortable, but they do their job. Um, and maybe my, maybe just maybe my feet are getting a little bit stronger. My, my, my feet are maybe getting a little bit healthier by being forced to work a little bit more. Um, you know, I've, one of my re- recent runs, I, I don't know if I stepped on an acorn or a rock or something, something that I thought would have like caused me to freak out with, with such little cushion between my, my foot and the ground. Um, and like it caught my attention, but it was no big deal. No problems. Didn't have any issues coming out of it. Like, the next step was fine. Um, so maybe just maybe my feet are, are coming around, coming around, but I, I like the zero shoes. Uh, I like the fact that they should hold up for 5,000 miles. Like that's good. And I like the fact that they're not that expensive. It's not like I'm paying $400 for a pair of shoes. that's going to last me for, you know, 5,000 miles, which is going to probably be three years. Um, I'm paying $90 for a pair of shoes that can last me for three years. That's some, some running economics I can get behind. So, uh, I'm a big zero fan so far. Uh, looking forward to being a big fan of zero shoes with, uh, healthy, healthy legs. Um, 
and hopefully that won't be long before I'm getting to that point. But thank you for asking, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying your ultras. And, and in theory, CC, if you decided to switch to, to zeros at some point, or at least try them out, it shouldn't be that big of a change because, in theory, the ultra drop should be zero just like the zero drop is zero. So hopefully the worst of it is behind you. Um, and you're, you're in good, in good position with zero drop shoes at the moment. So thanks for the question, CC. And thanks for the question, everybody. That's it. That's it. One hour, 15 ish minutes. It'll be closer to 20 by the time I wrap up, but that's not bad. Not bad for a Q and a Q&A episode. Like I said, next month, I'm sure it's going to be nonsense. Uh, two hours plus, because every time we have a short one, the bounce back, the, the, the pendulum swings to the other direction. Uh, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We'll worry about that next month. That's that's future Diz's problem. Present Diz is like, hey, let's have some more coffee. Let's get on with the day. Uh, but y'all, thanks for the question. As as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, if you want to join the Facebook group, that's the best way to get your questions asked and then ultimately answered each month. Dizruns.com slash Facebook. Did I mention that before? I can't remember if I mentioned the link. If you've been around, you know, but if you're new, that's that's the link. It just directs you right to Facebook, ask to join. You can also search for the Dizruns tribe on Facebook the next time you're on the, the app and poking around and wasting some time like we all do. Uh, search for the Dizruns tribe and uh, click to join. We'll let you in. And then if you, you know, douche it around, we'll kick you out. But for the most part, that doesn't happen very often. Every once in a while, there's a couple people that just try to do douchey things and then we, we send them packing. Uh, but for the most part, I think we got a pretty good group. We'd love to have you join us. Um, what do you think? What do you think about my answers? What did I get right? What did I get wrong? You can always just get in touch with me any old way, whether it's about a show or otherwise. I, I love to interact with y'all at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. I'm, I'm semi-active in both places, uh, but you can always tag me there or slide into the DMs. Either way, I'm, I'm happy to, to interact and answer your questions and, you know, crack some jokes, share some memes. That's always a good time. Uh, you can also send an email, Dizruns at gmail.com. You can also head over to the show notes for today. We've got a meme or we got a GIF or we got a little bit of both for uh, each question. Um, and then of course we got the, the short, the short answer version there. A couple of links, uh, Jason Dennis, you know, we got the, we got that link for the concierge coaching right there that you want to sign up for. So I'll come up and run a race with you. Um, <laughs> it's also just isruns.com slash concierge for those that are in, in interested. Um, but anyway, we got all the things in the, in the show notes. Uh, I also got that comment section down at the bottom. You can always leave your thoughts and feedbacks there as well. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, uh, we'll do it again next month. If you didn't, We'll do it again next month. One way or another, good Lord willing, if, if, if I'm still here, uh, we'll do this again next month. Um, but, you know, we'll have other episodes before then. We'll have some quick tips. May or may not be inspired by conversations with my athletes. We'll have some, some interviews, of course, as well. Um, so stick around. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you made it this far, you might as well hit the subscribe button. You're, you're one of us. Um, but one way or the other, we'll see, we'll see you around. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the time and the attention. Hit that share button if you want. Until next time, be well. Take good care, which I already said, but I'll say it again. And uh, talk soon, right? Later, y'all.